Many people don't realize that when they wash their clothes, many of those clothes are synthetics. And when you wash those, these microplastics are then released through our kind of wastewater system and unfortunately then end up in the ocean. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Fox, and this is an environmental podcast that asks, what? The way we do that is bad? Oh, how can we do it better? I'm sorry, but that might be one of the best intros I've ever done. If you want to discover how to make a house out of plastic waste, then go back and check out the last episode if you haven't already, where I spoke with Africa's startup of the year, Cubic. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Laura Foster, head of Clean Seas at the Marine Conservation Society. Now, they've begun their Stop Ocean Threads campaign. This is a petition calling for washing machine manufacturers to fit microfiber filters to all new domestic and commercial machines by law by 2023 and retrofit them in commercial machines by 2024. Now, in this chat, we cover the buyback plastic bottle schemes. Remember them. Quick bit of plastic history in there as well, the plastic bag ban. And if you weren't sure about the amount of microplastic that comes from washing the stains out of your clothes, you are about to find out. Thanks so much for joining me. We've got a little bit of research here. About uh, 2,000 people were asked basically about how good they think what they're doing is for the planet and eight in ten confessed to actively doing things that they know are bad um with almost half of those claiming that there's a lack of a better alternative do you think laura that it's just a bit depressing um all of the things that affect climate change so do you think that this is where this confession comes from yeah i I think you know we all have incredibly busy lives and we're, we're balancing and juggling so many different things and i think sort of people do things because that's their default you know so it's easy to do the things that we've always done even though perhaps we've sort of heard on the tv or on the radio actually we, we should do something slightly better or different um but we're struggling to make that kind of change yeah i suppose it's the first step isn't it to realize that maybe your actions aren't that good for the planet. So that's sort of the first bit. At least we're we're getting somewhere. But what do you pe- what do you think that people can do in particular when it comes to washing their clothes? Cuz this is a big campaign for you guys at the Marine Conservation Society at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's sort of really important. I think the first thing is sort of we've got a petition running, um, hashtag sort of stop ocean threads. um, And this is to get um, factory fitted washing machine filters. Um, And this is basically what those would do is capture microplastics. So many people don't realize that when they wash their clothes, um, many of those clothes are synthetic, sort of man-made fibers. So those clothes that sort of say they're fast drying, they're they're sort of, um, you know, sports clothes etc are actually made of synthetic fibers and when you wash those these microplastics are then kind of released um through our kind of wastewater system and unfortunately then end up in the ocean so what we kind of want to see is the introduction of uh washing machine filters that are factory fitted and and that's really coming back to your earlier point is about lowering that kind of barrier you know if, if you've got to sort of go oh, well, I've got this washing machine and then I need to, to get this filter. Does it fit? Or do I have to have a plumber? Mm. Can I do this myself? You can already hear that you know, it's really sort of quite that barrier and you sort of go, oh, you know, I won't do it. Uh, it's too complicated. Whereas, you know, you get your new washing machine and it's just there by default. You're sort of like, okay. And, and then for those that maybe even don't know what it is, you know, that they're, they're suddenly engaging this issue, sort of going, oh, okay, I understand why that's there. And 
you know, many of your listeners may know, but many of them might not know about a third of all the microplastics in the ocean comes from washing our clothes. Mm. So it's a huge kind of percentage, um, you know, and therefore it's quite impactful that we're, you know, we're able to kind of change this. Yeah, completely. And we're talking at the moment whilst there is a lot of discussion around the cost of living crisis. So like you say, this is really putting the onus, this petition, this campaign on the manufacturers, because there are things that people can do at the moment, like guppy bags, for example, that you can wash your clothes in. But again, that's an extra cost and it's on the consumer. And what you want to see is something that takes that out completely of the equation, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's really challenging, you know, we're all sort of thinking about the cost of living and sort of impacts and looking sort of, well, how, how do I do that? And, and I think sometimes as part of that, people sort of go, oh, I, I'm struggling to engage in the environmental thing because I'm having to think about cost of living as well. But, you know, quite often some of these sort of steps that we can take to reduce our sort of plastic footprint are also good for the environment. So, you know, sort of very sort of basic things, you know, taking our own kind of pack lunch for instance you know people are now going back to work you know that reduces sort of the impact that you know and the costs that maybe you sort of we've traditionally sort of you know picked up a quick sandwich etc we can reduce the, the kind of amount of sort of plastic we're using or we can use a kind of refill uh, shop if, if that's sort of available so there's all sorts of things that we can do um, that are really kind of helping to lower our kind of environmental impact but also being kind of cost efficient yeah, exactly. And I read a really depressing article the other day about the amount of zero waste shops that are closing in the UK, because actually as the cost of living crisis bites and people get back to normal, busy lives pre-pandemic, um, those things are becoming more difficult. So again, if we were able to maybe counteract that with this um, campaign that you're bringing in that would hopefully see manufacturers changing um, the design of washing machines, then it's a bit of a no-brainer because people wouldn't have to think about it, would they? Yeah, and I think, you know, lowering that kind of barrier to, to people being able to sort of engage with it, I think is really important. And, you know, we know that people sometimes struggle to sort of think of the options or, or to even know that they're available. So, you know, being able to sort of choose a washing machine that's energy efficient, you know, is, is great for kind of, you know, um, tackling the sort of cost of living. And then on top of that, if it um, has those greater environmental sort of benefits through sort of microplastic capture. And I think that's why, you know, we're really pleased to see sort of Grundig's come out and sort of, mm -hmm. it's been the sort of first to come out um, and have this sort of factory fitted uh, filter. And I'm sure there's going to be many more companies sort of coming up behind them. And we're going to sort of see that becoming hopefully the default um, when you buy a washing machine. Yeah, I was going to say, because some manufacturers like Grundig, who own the Beko Beko, um, they have already fitted this. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. So, so the, the, they've just sort of launched their, their kind of new range, which will include the, these microfiber filters. And I think, you know, that's sort of great to see that technology as part of our kind of petition. We're asking for legislation to see these microfiber filters factory fitted so what we actually you know needed the manufacturers to sort of say yes we, we can do this technology it's there because obviously you can't legislate and say you have to have this product that looks like this if it's not actually possible to produce it so what we're seeing is is those very much their kind of pioneer companies such as Grundig coming out and sort of saying yeah we can do this technology we we can stop this microplastic getting into the ocean and you know it really sort of adds weight to, to the introducing this legislation through a kind of our petition.
Yeah, definitely. And we've spoken to Dr. Imogen Napper on this podcast as well before, who's done a lot of work on exactly this kind of thing, like microfibers in Everest and how to to make these kind of products uh, for the market. So it's really exciting to hear that Bico are kind of out there ahead of your petition and your campaign at the moment. Hopefully all the other manufacturers will catch up with them. Going back to this sort of research then, uh, the 2,000 people that were questioned, at least... Um, out of the top 20 things, people knew that washing their clothes was harmful because that did come in at number 19. It was down the bottom of the list. Uh, using a tumble dryer was number 12, which was one above flying. So I suppose that says, you know, we're, we're thinking about our washing a lot more than maybe our holidays at the moment or when this, when this study was done. Oh, you know, maybe it's, you know, a lot of people are doing a lot of things closer to home. So maybe we're all thinking about that as well. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, sort of, that connection between what we do and the environment sometimes, you know, is quite kind of challenging. And, mm. um, you know, talk to people that sort of lives in um, sort of towns and cities a long way from the coast. And, you know, quite often the marine environment is quite far from the, their sort of minds, you know, when you're sort of saying, well, actually your actions sort of what you're doing in your home is impacting the marine environment. I, I think that's, you know, it's quite a challenging concept um, mm. to sort of feel that that distance, but, you know, all kind of you know our rivers obviously lead into our oceans and therefore you know what enters our waterways is going to ultimately end in, in in the ocean and you know i'm sure imogen sort of covered um you know the fact that we're finding sort of microfibers in sort of everything from the deepest parts of our ocean all the way to you know sort of the arctic and, mm. and everything in between you know showing how ubiquitous they are but i think you know what's really unique is we really understand where they're coming from you know it's a it's a really clear point source we wash our clothes we release sort of 700,000 bits of uh, microfibers in a single wash so you can imagine the trillions that get released every week you know from across the UK so you know it, it's something that we can actively do and change yeah and it is difficult and again one of the um facts from this research 66% of the 2000 surveyed said they would stop doing or eating certain items if they could see the pollution now we've spoken to someone recently from a startup in Kenya um about the fact that plastic waste and its scale you know you're saying all those all those many many microfibers out there so that scale is sometimes hidden from us, like you say, living in towns and cities. Um, and when it's hidden, we can forget about it. And I suppose the word micro in microfiber, that, that flags it all up for us. So do you think this really has been quite a hidden problem until now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, when you talk about sort of ocean pollution, you know, I ask people, what's the first thing they think of? And they, they sort of describe you know, quite often um, not UK countries um, and quite often they also describe sort of bottles and, and large sort of things. But what people, you know, are less aware of is very much kind of um, the microfibers and the micropollution. But also, you know, um, there was a great study done in, in Scotland that looked at um, marine plastic around Scotland and um, it found that 90% of that was coming from sort of local Scotland kind of sources so you know I would suspect that that would be reflective of the rest of the UK mm -hmm. so actually you know we are directly polluting our own waters and and therefore you know we are able to implement changes within the UK that can make significant changes and that can be everything from sort of you know carrier bag charges we saw that yes which you've worked on yeah yeah we saw that that you know actually that just that tiny sort of charge that people could do you know we've all seen people juggling their eggs and their bread as they come out the supermarket <laughs> just to a, a, avoid that sort of five pence well now ten pence charge 
um, and, and you know things like we want a deposit return scheme to be introduced um, across the UK. Um, Scotland sort of taking the lead on that. But sort of that, again, that's a bit of a nudge. I've got a container. I finished my drink. I've got a container. Does it have any value to me? Well, at the moment, you know, it doesn't have a direct value to me. You know, it's just a waste item. I want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. But obviously, if you had 20 pence and suddenly that's worth 20 pence after you finish a drink, you look at the thing, go, that's worth 20 pence. I, I'm going to save that and I'm going to return it to, to, to the sort of, you know, return point. And, and that might be because you have an environmental stance or it may just be that, you know, you're sort of interested in the sort of financial recouping yeah. that kind of cost. So, you know, it helps remind us that that's where that should go. And that's, a, yeah. you know, a really important step for people. Yeah, and that behaviour change is achievable as well. And I just wanted to finish up, um, uh, Laura, on two more questions. Do you think that plastic is useful in any items in any industry, personally? I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it has been um, really kind of interesting. Uh, you know, it's a really interesting question, but I think, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, plastic was sort of introduced was to kind of replace things like ivory and tortoiseshell. So, you know, we know sort of, you know, when they were introducing, they were looking at sort of the impacts that that was having and that sort of animal trade. So I think, you know, there is a place, you know, we still need to, to use plastic. I'm thinking particularly like medical and, yes. you know, there's a lot of medical advances. Many of you, you know, um, unfortunately might have had an operation where mm. obviously a lot of those advances are associated with ability to kind of use plastic. But I think the majority that are causing the problem are related to kind of single use, very, um, you know, sort of low grade plastic. When I say low grade, I'm sort of talking about low sort of applications like to, to wrap your sandwich and things like that. You know, yeah. we're using a sort of a, a resource that's, you know, created millions and millions of years ago. We're digging out of the ground to, to then produce a spoon, which we use for like two minutes, yeah. that then is going to be in the environment for hundreds of years afterwards. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you think about that and, and you go, well, actually, do we need it for that? No, we can have mm -hmm. a reusable alternative. But, you know, there may be for sort of yeah medical applications, some exceptional kind of uses, but it should be the exception. And we should be sort mm -hmm. of saying, actually, it's an incredibly important resource and we should be thinking about where we use it and how we apply it. Yeah. Um, do you have your own environmental hero that you look up to, Laura? Uh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question before. I, I, I guess, you know, I, I could obviously, you know, David Attenborough, you know, for me, obviously it has massively changed how people perceive like not only sort of the wildlife, but that shift to sort of looking at sort of impact. I think, you know, he's really provided that gateway for a lot of people that perhaps you know wouldn't be traditional environmentalists that you know they're interested in the natural environment and mm. suddenly that they're, they're starting to understand how that interaction and I think that's really important for, for accessibility and for people to you know different people to be watching and understanding. Yeah. Completely completely thank you so much for chatting to me and good luck with the Stop Ocean Threads campaign as well. Brilliant thank you very much. You can sign the petition to help the Marine Conservation Society's campaign Stop Ocean Threads. Just hit the link in the show notes wherever you are listening right now or if you're busy driving. Just don't forget to head to the Marine Conservation Society's website and find out more about Stop Ocean Threads. Also, if you're in the notes section right now, uh, we mention uh, Dr. Imogen Napper. We've actually spoken to her on this podcast before. She is the marine scientist who's worked 
on microplastics from washing and also part of the team that discovered plastic up Mount Everest. If you haven't heard that episode, show notes is where to head. When I first spoke with Dr. Imogen Napa, I don't believe we had this microfiber filter technology built in. They weren't sure how it was going to work in washing machines. And now we have it, Grundig, who are backing the Stop Ocean Threads campaign. They've also launched their new built-in fibre catcher technology to catch microfibers in synthetic base washes, if you're looking for a new washing machine. Right, eco life hack. Foil is recyclable. You've just got to put it into like a big tennis ball size so your recycling picks it up. Why is she talking about screwing foil up into balls? This is the Age of Plastic podcast. Well, It's very nearly Easter, and Easter means still, in 2022, plastic tat encasing Easter chocolate. So if you can, things to look out for. Fair trade chocolate, look for stuff in foil and paper over those in plastic, or just paint an egg. Or if you're vegan, paint an egg-shaped rock. Thanks so much for listening. Let me know what you think of the podcast and the new artwork. We've got an Instagram, Age of Plastic Podcast, loads of other ways to get in contact. Just have a little look in the show notes for a chat, guest suggestion, or any comments on this podcast. And hopefully next week, we're going to be talking about that recent research that's found plastic in our blood. Until then, look after yourselves, wash everything, wash your clothes, wash your recycling, wash your hands, stay safe, and I'll chat to you next week.